0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. On this week's Gagan Pressing, we're joined by football journalist Konstantin Ekner to break down the tactical lessons from match day two. Can Leipzig Challenge for the title and why did Dortmund lose to Freiburg? Plus, where does Marcel Sabitzer end surrender come September? And how to Bayern Lock early doors under Julian Nagelsmann. That and much more coming up on Gagan Press the Bundesliga podcast. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host Chris Williams and I'm joined by two people totally familiar with Bundesliga football, Firstly, it's Manuel Veith, North American Area Manager for Transfermarkt. Manu, hello.
1: Yay, hey, Chris, how's it going?
0: Yeah, very good, thanks. Nice to be back. Not been on a podcast for a while. I know we're only on match day two, but I wasn't on that much the back end of last season. So it is nice to be back on, keeping the host hot seat warm for a little bit. And someone else that's going to join us today is a German football journalist for outlets such as The Times, BBC Sport, ESPN, Sport1. It's probably easier to say who he's not, a German football journalist for these days. Konstantin Eckno, welcome to Gag and Pressing, or welcome back. How are you? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here, and uh, we might as well just jump right into it. So let's cast our mind back to Friday of match day 2, and Leipzig had a few questions to answer after a very poor start against Mainz on the opening weekend. So how did they get on? And here is... Andre Silva off the mark with FB Leipzig.
1: He's created a goal, He scored a goal. A little bit lucky there when you see it from that angle, but uh I said he'd get one. Even though it's a penalty, it doesn't matter for a striker. You got your first goal.
0: Manu. I'm going to come to you first because I think they emphatically answered those questions. What do you think of Jesse Marsh's small time at Leipzig now? He got off to a bit of a bad start. How do you think it's recovered? Because you know, you know him quite well. Can can we say he's a mate of yours? We're allowed to do that. If he's in your phone, is he a mate? <laughs>
1: um acquaintance, maybe? Um no, I I, I think I think Jesse we spoke about us last week and um he had to familiarize himself with the, the German word druck, right? Pressure. Um, didn't quite know what it was and I think he he felt it after match day one right away and um, I think he he and his side answered answered uh, the critiques quite quite quickly and um, stripped themselves maybe some of that druck that pressure Uh, I thought they were fantastic you know the this is this is a good Stuttgart side and we 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 sort of expected them to do maybe put up a bit more of a fight right and um yeah, um, watching back the goals, especially, I I, I thought it was a it was a great response, and also seeing Dominic Soboslai, I know Constantine really likes likes him as a player, and seeing him playing a bigger role um, and slowly being integrated into the side, I think that it was a very good response from a not so great first result. And yeah, I'm really curious what you think, Constantine, because like Druk is a word now. I think that Jesse will become more and more familiar with. Yeah, I guess so. I
2: mean, it uh, w- wasn't like his time at, at Salzburg was without any pressure. Usually the, the the team that wins the Austrian Championship, there's also some kind of pressure. Uh, I guess it's a different kind of pressure at Leipzig uh, where, where you don't really know how strong you are uh, going into the season. You can't really be sure, especially with some of the transfers, with some of the departures and, and new signings. Um, so, of course, Jesse also, as, as the coach, as the manager, had to figure out where his team is um in terms of like just performance levels and um also managed to integrate some of the new signings and i mean there's Andres uh, Silva there are Claudio Zimakan and of course i mean even Dominic Soboslai is kind of a new signing because he was injured for all of the 6 months uh, after he he arrived in january so yeah, he has to deal with, with the situation. Um, I also think that like some people um, in the Bundesliga and uh, even in Leipzig uh, f- might think that uh, Jesse Marsh is a downgrade uh, compared to Nagelsmann. I don't necessarily see that. I mean, I, I know where these people are coming from, um, especially if Marsch implements his kind of style of football, which I think suits the team and the players that are there right now uh, fairly well.
0: Constantine, that's a a nice little segue into there because I was about to ask about tactics. So obviously it comes from the the Red Bull stable of football and you can normally pick up Red Bull tactics and and move them any way you want, be that in Brazil, be it in North America, be it in Germany, be it in Austria. So what differences has he had to sort of adapt to in the Bundesliga from the Austrian Bundesliga? And how do you think that has affected Leipzig tactically?
2: Yeah, I actually think that uh, in, in a way, his style or because he is a Red Bull coach, I mean, he has been with the with the empire, so to say, for, for a couple of years now, uh, first in New York, then, then Leipzig as assistant, then Salzburg and now back at Leipzig uh, as, as the head coach in charge. And I think um, it The Bundesliga uh, suits the Red Bull style even better than maybe the Austrian Bundesliga, because in in Austria, you know, playing as Red Bull Salzburg, you're usually the, the team that has to have possession, that has to be dominant against all these teams that are just trying to survive against Red Bull Salzburg. Uh, in the Bundesliga, it's a little bit different, uh, at least in some matches where, where the other team, the opponents try to enforce their kind of style. And you, because the Red Bull style is so you know, reliant on counter-pressing and, and, this, and these transition attacks, I, I think that it can work even better than maybe in the Austrian Bundesliga. And I think the the win over Stuttgart, the 4-0 gave you a taste of what can be expected against a couple of teams in the Bundesliga. Because Stuttgart on the one hand, of course, they they said they tried to close down some of the some of the gaps. They tried to shut down Leipzig's passing play. Didn't really work. There are a couple of factors we can talk about that. On the other hand, they also tried to establish possession in some phases of the game. Didn't really work out. Lost possession very early, usually, which is something you don't see necessarily from a Stuttgart team. That was kind of their strong suit last season that they were really capable of, you know, keeping possession, maintaining possession, then moving down the field. Didn't really work against Leipzig. And then on the other hand, you saw kind of the fast-paced style. And and if you want to talk about uh, single players, mentioned Soboslaya, yeah, but I think like a major part of this win over Stuttgart, um, two players should be named there first uh, Nkunku and second Emil Forsberg like maybe in light of the whole Marcel Zabitzer drama so I I think these two did really well and and showed how how the fast paced Leipzig style can be played up front
0: Manu, Konstantin brings up a few good points there if you look at Forsberg playing a little bit of a withdrawn role than you'd normally see him a little bit out wider. And then, of course, Nkunku tries to break out wide. And then Slobosai, who got as wide as possible and also got his goals. So, are we seeing a little bit of a change uh, in the way that Leipzig play under Jesse Marsh from Julian Nagelsmann?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, he 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 did say before the season and, um, that he wanted to play a bit more direct, right? And that when he, when he gets the ball be more quickly forward and I think Forsberg I think Forsberg we sh- we already saw it a little bit last year under Nagelsmann so I, I don't want to say he he necessarily 100% benefited from Marsh taking taking control at Leipzig I think that this is something that um, Nagelsmann kind of got the ball rolling on and Constantine even wrote a really good article about this already last year so um this is not something new, but I do think that forsberg is going to play um a bigger role um under marsh and I think that you sort of see him playing maybe a bit more of a of a central role as well that um there is i think that if you give forsberg the opportunity to become a bit more of a goal scorer, he will take it, and I think he 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 will get that in the system so a more direct approach, maybe than you had under Nagelsmann. You know, when they get the ball, really quickly move forward, and, and this is some of the stuff that Konstantin already pointed out, right? It, it is a little bit different than than the Nagelsmann football, and it is a bit more typical for how the Red Bull how Red Bull play in general, and it is also something that suits them um, a bit better, maybe in Germany rather than Austria. Although I think we saw a lot of that in Austria as well, and we saw a lot of that, especially when Salzburg played internationally, right? which was probably where he honed his skills a bit more. Um, But yeah, I think Forsberg is is going to play a bigger role. And I mean, Konstantin alluded to it, the the whole Sabitzer drama with Sabitzer wanting out of Leipzig. Um, The latest that I'm hearing is that Bayern Munich are moving forward with this or trying to move forward with this or trying to find a solution to get Sabitzer one way or another. And then Halstenberg is another one who could, could be leaving Leipzig. These are all discussions. I mean, the window doesn't shut for another nine days, but... There's still a lot of movement happening, so with in mind that Sabitzer once out, uh, even if he doesn't leave, I think his his role will be diminished because of what's happened and um, the, you know the whole sideshow of it. Um, and then with that in mind, Forsberg will become an important player.
0: Constantin, first of all, I'm going to ask you two things. First of all, do you think he'll move, and is this another indication perhaps that Leipzig need to try and address to to try and keep some of their better players?
2: Yeah, so so I guess he will likely move. Um, kind of, you know, the writing's on the wall in a way. They just, uh, at least from Leipzig's perspective, I guess they have made that piece with the with the whole thing that uh, he will he will likely uh, go to Bayern. Um, I mean, the whole business model of Leipzig is still kind of revolving around the, the fact that they sign players fairly cheap. I mean, not all of them, of course. Um, has changed a little bit, but still sign them fairly young, fairly cheap, um, and then sign, uh, sell them for much more money. Of course, I guess the best-case scenario would be to sell these players to other clubs, foreign clubs, you know, like Sabitzer. I mean, there were the rumors about him going to Tottenham, so um, the, I guess that would be a better scenario for Leipzig because lo- losing someone to Tottenham, I mean, who cares, I spe- in terms of uh, national competition. um. It, it doesn't really matter in that regard. Uh, same with Upa of course. I mean, <laughs> losing him to I don't know Manchester United would have been better uh, for Leipzig um, instead of you know him leaving to Bayern Munich. Um, I guess like to unpack it, um, can they afford him, uh, losing Sabitzer? Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't help their squad depth, of course. And I mean, when I talk about depth, like the first fourteen fifteen players, I mean Sabitzer is still part of that. Um, I think uh, in terms of like the quality. He brings to the table, yeah. Of course, I mean he is a he, is, he was a pivotal player uh, last season. Have to say that I think he's, and that's like it sounds harsh, but he's slightly overrated um, by some people. Um, because what Leipzig needs right now is, because look, looking from a different perspective here, um, he's not really a deep lying playmaker. First of all. He's also not the kind of number ten that Forsberg is in terms of like uh, you know moving really up front, moving next to the striker, uh, giving that kind of penetration up front that you need sometimes, especially with a very direct style that Jesse Marsh prefers. So he's not that. He's also not the kind of runner that a, that a Tyler Adams is. So. Is, he, he is valuable in a, in a certain system, but I think he's more valuable in a possession-based system, but where he doesn't have to be the most dominant player. I don't think he never was, even even under Nagelsmann at Leipzig, he was never the most dominant player. Uh, he impressed a lot of people because he scored a couple of goals, some from distance. So, I mean, I don't know if he can replicate that uh, down the road, but um, I don't think he was the most dominant player. And um, there were other midfielders in the past at Leipzig that were more dominant, Nabi Keita, of course. Um, so I guess he's a valuable role player, but um, in, the, in, the, in the current system that that Jesse Marsh wants, uh, I don't really even see the, the the place for him in the starting eleven because uh, Marsh needs two intelligent runners and and like in Haidara, one who can be the box to box guy, um, and then he needs and like an attacking, provoking number ten that can really penetrate the box. That's Emil Forsberg or maybe Nkunku, or even Soboslai These are better choices for that position. Um, but of course, it's not the best, uh, you know, the best sign to the uh, in terms of like you know you you want to be the number two in Germany. You want to challenge Bayern, then you lose your captain or your former captain also to Bayern. It's not the best sign, um, just to all the other players at at your at your team and maybe to you know future signings and so on. And, and by the way, we talked about like the tagging midfield options. We we you e- didn't even mention Dani Olmo. By the way, you know who can also be the, the number ten guy, kind of guy. So I don't really. I, I think it, w- it won't hurt them in terms of like their um, performance this season that much. I mean, of course, Sabitzer could be a nice option to have, um, but it's not that bad, I guess. Um, but of course, at some point you have to turn around, and and you have to think, turn things around, and you have to. Basically, shut down the um you know the the shopping line from Leipzig to Munich. Uh, if you want to compete with Bayern, I think the the Nagelsmann and Upamecano departures are much more hurting. Um, although maybe you know it turns out that uh, Marsh can replace Nagelsmann, and maybe it turns out that. You know Simakon and and Quadiol they can replace Ubamecano and and Orban has also kind of picked up a lot of international experience at the Euros and so on and has made another step forward even at and now 28 years old so it's it's hard to say I mean even Dortmund they have they have lost a couple of players over time to Bayern uh, but but kind of stopped the pleading at some point. I guess Leipzig also have to do the same, but on the other hand, there are players like Soboslay, like Ninkungu, maybe like Andre Silva, who come to Leipzig with the perspective, or with the uh, um, um, with the prospect that to then move on to a bigger club. And what what's a bigger club than Leipzig in Germany? It's Bayern Munich. So there's always the option that some of your your really hot players um, might go to Bayern. And how? Do you stop it? I mean, you you can't you can't stop it for a while, but uh you know, after a while, your, your hands are tied.
0: Manu, this is something that I think we've covered in depth a lot over this podcast in the last few seasons. It's where do you draw that line, isn't it? It's where do you go from feeding Bayern and feeding this record that they've got, and we'll get on to can they win ten titles in a run in a moment? But there needs to be that stop. Dortmund put their foot down a couple of seasons ago and said, you know, there won't be any more transfers to Bayern and they've been able to keep that in for a little bit. But do you think that Leipzig can match Bayern? Because the last couple of seasons they've been there or thereabouts, especially that first season they came up, you know, you and I uh, and Bryce were in uh, the Red Bull arena for that fantastic game um, where Robin scored the winner in, (laughs) as we were getting into added time. Um, They ran them close then, dipped off a bit, and I think we all agreed that was because the the battle rhythm of Champions League football was a complete surprise to them. But since then, they have battled back, and I think you said in the past that they are potentially Bayern's biggest rival. Do, Do you think that now, looking at the start of the season? I know this is probably the world's biggest hot take because we're only two days into the match day, but can they challenge Bayern?
1: Yes, this it's the sixth season in the Bundesliga, I think we have to remember that. And um we kind of look at them already as an automatic top four side, right? And I think that 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 shows quite a bit and how far they have come as a club and as an organization. Um stopping the bleeding divine it's it's difficult. It's a very difficult one because you know, a lot of people look at the Bundesliga at the perspective of another league, like whether it's the the Premier League or maybe La Liga, right? And they say like, well, this doesn't maybe happen to the same extent than it does in, in those leagues. But at the same time, Bayern Munich are pretty much an automatic Champions League quarter-finalist, right? And we always know that they're, they're thereabouts when it comes to winning the Champions League. Um, they're always among the favorites. So um, if you're already in Germany, it's an easy transition, isn't it? It's a much easier transition to go to Bayern than to go to maybe Real or to go to one of the a Premier League side that can win the Champions League. So, of course, that's, that makes it difficult for the other teams in Germany to necessarily keep Bayern's hands off their best players. Um, I, I, I'm with Dove with Konstantin. I mean, Sabitzer is, wouldn't be the biggest loss, and I, I don't think um, the title in Germany is going to be won or lost whether Sabitzer will play for Bayern Munich or Leipzig. I, I don't think that's going to be the decisive factor here. And I do think that Leipzig have have a chance. Um, we're going to talk about Bayern um, further down this podcast, but it isn't like Bayern came out guns blazing into the season either, didn't they? So, yeah, I, I think, you know, with all the options that Leipzig have and from what you're hearing, they're not done themselves in the transfer window either. I think with Halstenberg and Sabitzer leave, someone else will be coming in who could be potentially very exciting as well. So they know what they're doing. Um, And I think that eventually they, they are going to stop the bleeding because they have to, they have to grow in many ways organically, don't they? And uh, you know, my final point on this is no one thought that Andre Silva was going to stay in Germany beyond this, this transfer window and, rather him going to England or Spain, he ended up at Leipzig. And I think that is, that's the sort of statement of intent that a lot of people were looking for anyways. Right. Well, well, just
0: before we put Friday night to bed, I'm going to ask you both two questions, and they're a yes and a no answer. Constantine, I'm going to come to you first. Can Leipzig win the title? And the other question is, will Leipzig win the title? Oh, yes and no. Interesting. Manu, I mean you can say the same or you can have a different opinion. Can Leipzig win the title? Will Leipzig win the title? Yes and no. Excellent. Diversity is all what we're about here and <laughs> uh, and yeah, we've got that there, haven't we? I'll take. So, uh, I'll take. <laughs> that was Friday. Um Saturday again was another uh, stimulating day in the Bundesliga with shock results all over the place. Going over there to try to deal with the threat posed by DFB It's considerable and Schicks in position. Patrick Schick carries on where he left off at the Euros. Manu, I think we can only really start well. We could start at a few places actually, but I'm going to start with Bayer Leverkusen's um victory against Borussia Monchengladbach and before we go onto the way they played I'd just like to say that I thought it was brilliant the way that Leverkusen said that there could be no away fans and a couple got in. So every time Leverkusen scored, they played a the Gladbach goal music. I think that's excellent. That's exactly the sort of pedantry that football clubs need to have. But 4 0 over, over Brucey Munch and gladback, did you see this coming?
1: it's it's classic Bundesliga, isn't it? This result. No, I, I did not see that coming. Um, I think anyone, maybe Konstantin is going to come up in a moment and say like, yeah, I did see that coming. and will make me look like a fool. But I, I don't think anyone saw this coming. But in some ways, like it shouldn't surprise us either. I mean, by Lever Gladbach were excellent against Bayern Munich on Friday for to start of the season last Friday. And then... Um, Classic Bundesliga, great against Bayern, terrible against whoever they play next. It's it seems like the story of the Bundesliga for a very long time now, right? That teams just don't seem to get that consistency. Even if they have a great result against the very best, they just don't seem to be able to carry over that performance to the next match. And um, this is a great example. I think for Gladbach, anything that could go wrong went wrong and missed the penalty as well, right? And that at 2-0, that makes it 2-1. And that's a very different story, maybe. But yeah, I, I think Leverkusen too. I mean, they were. I watched them against Union Berlin the week before and I thought they were sort of like, hmm, not very inspiring. And um, then they put this performance out and I thought... You know, there there was a lot of very a lot of stuff there for Leverkusen fans that make can can make them very exciting. And with you Gladbach, there's a lot of things there that really make you think. Okay, well, like, that wasn't great, but yeah, I mean, Constantine, um, you can make me look like a fool or not, and say the exact opposite of what I just said.
2: I don't know if that, uh, that's possible. Um, <laughs> I, I I would two things maybe um, in regards to the match and and maybe the the state of these two teams. Um, first of course, is that Leverkusen, I think they, and they, they won't, won't like challenge for the title or anything, or at least they, they won't win the title because I, I don't think they have the kind of the squad depth you need. But I also think that like the kind of the mixture they have between Rado and Zioane as the new coach and, um, especially the attacking midfield they have and uh, kind of the, the type of players Zeona can now use um, in in midfield um, that that fits together. I don't know if they really like signed Zeauna because like they thought like all right, you will you will actually work very good with with uh, Wiltz and Demia by and Chic. Um, I don't think that, that was the kind of the thought process there. I think that there's a little, little bit more randomness involved in like who's getting the managerial jobs in the Bundesliga. Um, but still, I think that that works well together. I think especially in. in Taking wise uh, by Leverkusen can be an interesting um, uh, or it, like a threatening side over the course of the of the season. The thing is with Adi Hutter, uh, if you if you watch or if you remember all the Frankfurt years, his kind of style was uh, relied on direct plays to the wings and and uh, at least or having two center forwards and maybe a number 10 behind behind the two uh, who are really just great at cluing the ball. André Zilla was part of that, you know, but also Bastos was part of that and Kamada, and, and Jovic and so on. Um, so uh, right now, and, and the problem is like he moves or he goes to Mönchengladbach. What's the one piece Mönchengladbach don't have right now? Great center forwards. They have like hybrids like Thuram, of course, but who else? Like player? Not really. It's interesting to see, like, that he moved to the one club doesn't have the one ingredients he needs actually to succeed. So, I mean, he's like working against the crane a little bit here at mentioned and I think you might f- uh, find something to figure it out, but it will take some time. And yeah, I'm I'm just intrigued to see how how he will actually figure it out uh, because I've, I guess the pressure's on was a kind of a messy divorce with Frankfurt. Um, so it's not like he's he's beloved by all the, all the fans. Um, yeah. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, the result was kind of outrageous that Leverkusen would win against Mönchengladbach, not so much.
0: Manu, I can see you're absolutely chomping at the bits bit. coming there.
1: Yeah, I just think maybe to, to supplement it a little bit. I, I thought that against Bayern, he brought on Marcus Turam and had him play sort of in that role, and it worked quite well against Upamecano, didn't it? And I almost wonder whether Hütter thought, okay, well, this could maybe work here. And have Turam playing that central role, right? Because Zicki is a very physical player, of course. It it didn't really work. And I do think that uh Constantine is quite right. They probably need a, a proper number nine in the in the system. And maybe that's what's going to arrive. I mean there is so many rumors about Marcus Turam maybe going to Inter, right? Another forward is going to come the other way. But yeah, just to maybe like bring that up. It just it just uh, jumped at me that um when, when Constantine mentioned that and it, it is very much true and it's it seems like he's trying to have other players play that role that are not necessarily familiar with it.
0: And of course everybody knows it's champing at the bit, it's not chomping at the bit before I get loads of uh, grammar people emailing me about that. So um yeah, let me pick up that mistake. Talking about mistakes, it's probably about time that we spoke about the Borussia Dortmund. Constantin dropping points against Freiburg. This is exactly the type of thing that cost them the title under not just Lucien Favre, but the coaches before that. And dare we
2: say it, anybody after Jurgen Klopp. Well, first of all, uh, Freiburg was my pick for the surprise team of the season. So of course, I mean, of course they will win against Dortmund. Congratulations. <laughs> well, it's got in there early there. And yeah, yeah, you've won the season already on match day two. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, a f- funny thing, by the way, is like that uh, you're totally right. Even, even under Klopp, in, in the later club years, and then under, you know, Tuchel and so on and so on. Usually Dortmund dropped important points against weaker teams. But funnily, they usually beat Freiburg. Like, Freiburg was the one, like, walk-in-the-park uh, kind of match for them. Going into the match, um, the the 2-1 defeat, um, you know, looking from Dortmund's perspective, I guess there, there's, like, two things I want to address. Uh, the first one is... Um, I guess there were a couple of players who, who didn't really, a couple of Dortmund players who didn't really perform at the kind of level you want to see him perform, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, like Dahoud wasn't really there, uh, Royce, um Donny and Marlin, unsurprisingly in my opinion, uh, isn't like qu- quite there yet. Um, and even like Schultz had to, uh, had to l- leave the pitch, was replaced by Rafael Guerrero, even Guerrero didn't play well. So there's there's that one. And it's like a kind of a typical Dortmund thing that uh, a couple of players, you know, um, didn't really perform at 100%. That's like usually what happens when when Dortmund trap points. But on the other hand, or or another point I want to make is uh, Dortmund, they play now with a midfield diamond, uh, which is kind of the, the system Rosa has chosen the problem is like a midfield diamond can can work quite well, but uh, in that match it didn't. Uh, why? Because like the the midfield diamond gives you depth. You know, you got you got the number six, you got the two number eights, and you got the number ten. It usually, gets it gives you depth. It don't give you a width, but it gives you depth. But not in that match. Like uh, Reina, Dahoud, and Bellingham were essentially were standing on one horizontal line. <laughs> there was, and like Royce was standing in front of them, like two two meters of, uh, or five yards in front of them or something. And they couldn't manage to free themselves from Freiburg's honestly intense man marking. They couldn't. Uh, that's why they usually drop points against like teams like Augsburg, who are also into man marking and intense man marking. This time was Freiburg uh, and Christian Streich, who just does what he does. Um, you know, which is uh, having uh, ten outfield runners out there mocking um, the hell out of a team.
0: Manu, Constantin picks up some really good points there, most notably about, you know what you're going to get with Christian strikes Freiburg. I know Dortmund have got a new coach, but it's Marco Rosa, so he's not come from outside of Bundesliga, he's come from within it. So Christian strikes Freiburg shouldn't be a shock. So do you think this was more disappointing for Dortmund or are you happy to cut them a little bit of slack because they played midweek and we are so early in the system and teams aren't really used to playing that midweek weekend match day are you going to cut them any slack or are you going to hang them out to dry
1: i'm going to do a bit of both i think because no no title has been won or lost on match day two Uh, i think this is that this is first and foremost the most important point and um this comes off a performance of and we're going we're going to i think touch on it for for a moment so i'm going to leave it but it comes off the of the super cup performance right and when you when you look at when you just look at the naked numbers right we 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 judge teams sometimes by just what we see on the field and it can be really utterly frustrating to watch borussia dortmund at times because sometimes it just feels like that there is that last third or last 10% missing to get them across that line and win a winner game that they should be winning i mean they they should if they want to win the title they have to beat freiburg but when you just look at look at some of the naked numbers, I mean they won the x g zero nine four to one point one point nine one They had the majority of the chances they had sixty nine percent possession and yes, and I mean Constantine will rightfully point out it, it doesn't matter how much you have of the ball it depends what it matters what you do with it, and this is where it becomes frustrating because they have so much of the ball and they have so much creativity in that field and you don't always see it translated right and sometimes you see them being very wasteful with these chances as well. And I think these are these are the two marks where I say, okay, yes, on the one hand, it, it wasn't all bad. But on the other hand, you have to win this game. You have to be consistent. You have to be taking your chances and you have to be more creative with what you have on the field.
0: Constantin, how close do you think Marco Rosas Dortmund are to some sort of finished product? Okay, they, I know they lost Jadon Sancho, but Malin's come in people are saying he's the replacement i don't personally think he's a like for like replacement but he's obviously the attacking replacement that they've gone for marco rosa comes in with a job to do but how far is he away from completing that job do you think they are looking at being a cohesive unit this season or do you think rose is planning for maybe 2223 or can he even afford to plan for
2: 2324 outwards i don't think he can um, I think, I mean, maybe like there would be a perfect scenario for him like to plan way ahead, you know, that like, all right, m- you know, my plan is to have a, you know, as you said, like he is a unit in 2022. I don't think you can do that uh, in the current situation at Dortmund because there's still Tertich, you know, lurking around. There are still some doubts coming from some people about like, was, was it really the right move to get Rosa? Uh, is he re- really the coach you need? So I don't think he has the time. I mean, of course, you you won't get fired uh, in November if if Dortmund are only fifth or something. That that's not gonna happen. But it's still kind of kind of the situation where he has to you know show something, deliver uh, this season. Um also keep in mind that Erling Holland will leave ne- uh, next summer. You know, you got one year left with Holland. So you are working on a, on a tight schedule, yeah. <laughs> you know, in a way. Are they are they right now? I think they are far away from a finished product uh, for two reasons. First of all, I, I don't think really Reza has worked out uh, how the how the structure and how to like all, all the procedures within the you know system he has chosen really work. Um, and there's also a couple of players who have to be uh, back on the field, like Mats Hummels. You know, you got a couple of minutes against Freiburg, but he has, of course, he has to be uh, back in the starting eleven uh, because Axel Witzel, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it was alright in the first match, but like wasn't really the uh, the real deal against Freiburg, to be honest. Uh, then, of course, Paslak is playing as a right back. Yeah, and then there's also the kind of uh, situation up front, where who, who will be the partner uh, for for Yaling Holland? So, yeah, for, for just from a personnel perspective, I guess he, he is it's not like the finished product because how how can it be?
0: And how many Freiburgs does uh, Marco Rosa get before people start saying? the name Edin Terzic a little bit more because I think we're all a little surprised. Maybe not that he stayed because he's got Bruce Dortmund in his blood and we all saw the good he did last season from dragging them where they were into Champions League and winning the Pokal. But how many Freiburgs does he get before the name gets raised again?
2: I, I mean, depends a little bit what's, hap- bet- what's happening between the Freiburgs. You know, if he's winning a couple of matches and he's dropping points, uh, you know, every once in a while, I guess it's it's, it's all right. I, I don't think the the name Tetsch will be brought up. I, I also think like there's some kind of you know romantic affair between, of course, Borussia Dortmund, the Borussia Dortmund fan base, and Tetsch because Tetsch is like pleading plaque in black and yellow yeah i mean is is it touches the solution is also another you know point of discussion um but i think it ca- it might get you know it might get ugly at some point this season uh, you know like i i give you i give you an example you know and then we might move on but I'll give you an example um dortmund early november they play at leipzig and like i don't count the Champions League matches because we don't know you know the opponents and so on but they will play against Le- at leipzig you know eh difficult then Stuttgart all right they will beat them probably um then at Wolfsburg then at home at Bayern mm, and then away at Borum you know which is kind of a derby but it's like if if you like you know imagine they lose against Bayern they might lose against uh, Wolfsburg and then they play at Borum and they lose against uh, against Borum you know which has happened by the way in the past um uh, mid-December then the storm is rising You know, that's kind of a scenario where I could see that like people really are questioning and like, uh, should we should we uh, put touches back in charge during the winter training camp? You know, just go back to what worked better last season. That could happen. You know, it's kind of a scenario I could see just, you know, just to uh, hypothetically. Yeah, it is a good one because we all know that German clubs don't really
0: like major change in that winter window, be it signing players or be it. Um, sacking coaches, and it, it's only if things are going incredibly wrong do they part ways with their coach, or if things are going particularly bad on the pitch, they bring in some sort of super signing. Manu, is there any lessons that Dortmund can take from that game against Bayern? Um, did you expect them to be a little bit closer? Because I think in the end it was a worthy win for for Bayern.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, Bayern were the better team. At, at the same time, it was it was very reminiscent of what we saw against Freiburg as well, wasn't it? That there's so many instances where we where we say, okay, well, what would have happened if you know Mokuku hadn't been just offside, or Haaland hadn't been just offside, and um, that's two goals gone right there, or um, the, the poor giveaway that led to Lewandowski making it 3-1 at a time when Dortmund very much looked like they were going to get into back into the game. And at the end of the day, the, the DFL Super Cup, it is, um, especially when Bayern and Dortmund are in it, it is shown around the world. It is maybe the, well, technically, it used to be the official season opener, right? And of course, because of COVID and things being moved around, um, it has changed a little bit, but it still has that same... It still sets the mark for the season, doesn't it, in some ways. And I think you almost got the sense a little bit that in Dortmund you had that five to win over Frankfurt, you know, everything seemed to be going well. And then all of a sudden you you get this result. And it that they, they because it's such an emotional club, things can turn around so quickly, um, on its head. And I think my giveaway, my takeaway from that is very much the same than from the Freiburg result is that there is Certain tiny things where they're just not as precise, and when they happen on the other side of the field, or when they happen to Bayern, you know, Dugovsky is gifted a chance. That's a goal. You know, you give them an inch, they will take a meter. And Dortmund, if you give them an inch, they 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 run into offside. And I think these are just so, s- small things that you just see, and they can make such a big difference at the end of the season. And I I, I think. My takeaway from the Super Cup is, that we you saw that in those those categories there is still a little bit of a gap, and that is where Dortmund, in my opinion, have to have the most work ahead of them to be just more precise.
0: Well, of course, Bayern did win the Super Cup. They drew on match day one, but how did they get on in match day two? Horn punches. Gnabry, he's got room to shoot. It's curled. It's curled in. It's curled past the keeper, and Bayern are back in front with 20 minutes to play. Serge Gnabry grabs a brace. I genuinely thought we were going to be in for a shock there. Bayern did what Bayern do, and they recovered it. But was it a comprehensive victory for you in the end, Constantin, or did it just shine a little night a light on uh, Julian Nagelsmann? And I know we're only three games into the season now, but where do you stand on? Julian Nagelsmann, Bayern München.
2: I mean, uh, you know, in in light of the test matches which were lost, most of them at least uh, were lost, and like I think, I think some fans at least panicked a little bit. Like, uh, all right, Bayern are you know not not up for par, um, at least early on in the season. Um, you know, it turns out, all right, they threw against Klappach. I mean, the match against Klappach was was an unthankful opener. Uh, beat Dortmund at Dortmund in the Super Cup and now beat Cologne, although it was close, still they got three points. Uh, so I, I actually think like all things considered, um, Bayern are, you know, standing better than, than you know, a lot of people have expected them to be. Um, so it's interesting how, how, you know, perception can change or how perception can influence, uh, you know, how, how you uh, maybe assess a situation. But, um, you know, just in terms of what they showed against Cologne, um, I think it was still an okay performance. There were some phases uh, over the course of 90 minutes where they were a little bit, uh, they were not, let's say, not tight enough, uh, you know, defensively. Counter pressing didn't work t- tightly enough. Um, there was something um, that has to be addressed, but I also read, read recently some uh, comments by made by Nagelsmann and I think he exactly knows what's not going right, and and you know what 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 has to has to change. Um, and when you look at Bayern, the, the starting eleven, uh, I mean we can allow allow uh, you know dedicate a segment to Leroy Sané, of course, but but the starting eleven, or at least most of the starting eleven, is just still some of the best you can find in Europe. Manu. We have to remember that we saw a little bit of this
0: last season under Hansi Flick. Bayern did look a little bit uncomfortable at times and did you expect those sort of mistakes to be ironed out under Julian Nagelsmann? What's your real takeaway from this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought when it was 2-0 that they they would make it 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, you know, the usual usual Bayern performance and then I, I was I was surprised. How easy it was for Köln to get back into this game and um, how easy it was for them to get back into the game using essentially the same attack twice on two different flanks, right? And I, I think ahead of the season I was wondering how long it will take Julian Nagelsmann to go to 3-4-3 three, three or... Call it what you will five three two or five three one or whatever you know that's that's more Constantine's field when it comes to the actual categorization of what that lineup was, but it was three in the back, wasn't it? and I, I was wondering how long it's going to take for him to do it, and he's done it on match day two, and it, I think it's come with his ex, with expected growing pain. I do think that his goal first and foremost this season is to make them more defensively robust than they were on the flick. And I'm, I am I think from what we've seen from Nagasman in the past, I think he very much believes with three in the back that that's, that's a solution to that problem and have two wing backs operate on either side, right? Um, I think Davis is very much made for that role. Uh, I'm not sure that um, that Sané is, uh, it's an interesting question, or whoever else is going to play on, on that side, right? And um, I think that with with that in mind, they 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 there comes there comes the there there comes a lot of question marks on this game. Um I think that Gnabry's goal was was a beauty, but I also think that another cool goalkeeper will probably stop that and the game ends 2-2. And yes, I mean that's like, yeah, okay, well, in the end of the day, only results matter. And that's what Nagasman said, didn't he? But he also admitted it very much feels like a test match. And again, um we're on match day two, and I think there's still Quite some interesting question marks about the side and how what they're going to look like and what system they're going to play in the end of the day. And I think that's 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 an interesting one. I, I think it's it's something interesting to follow and interesting to see what Nagelsmann is going to do in the end.
0: Constantin, it was and it was an interesting three minutes, wasn't it? After Bayern took the well, it was an interesting two minutes after Bayern took the lead, but they took that lead, um, and then three minutes later, the match was all square. What can we read tactically from that? Under Julian Nagelsmann, was this just a, a massive error that happened? Did they switch off after going 2-0 up with a new coach? Or did you identify any tactical areas that um, teams like Cone can exploit and and do so in two minutes to
2: get two goals? If we talk about the particular uh, you know match situation, I, I guess there is kind of I mean, if you just look at how the events went, uh, you, you, of course you have to talk about as a coach about, you know, staying awake, uh, staying ready, even if you are uh, two goals ahead, that's something. But but on the other hand, um, there's also um, and Nagelsmann has addressed it, that uh, sometimes the two center midfielders are um, sitting too deep or dropping too deep, um, so then the counter pressing doesn't really work. Sometimes they are a little bit in the in no man's land. Uh, which was actually the case against Cologne in a couple of situations where wood um, and Modest were, um, you know, were free or at least you know they were pa- they were passing options and and sometimes they were uh, targeted with passes successfully. So yeah, I, I I think I'm I see that, but on the other hand, I'm I know I I can't really. Uh, because Nuggetsman has already addressed that, I, I, I don't really see an issue there, because, like, I, I would be much more concerned, like, from a, you know, if you want to talk from a Bayern perspective, I'd be much more concerned if, like, Nuggetsman is like, oh, we, we are just lacking a little bit of fighting spirit or something, you know, if if, if he makes comments like that. But, like, he specifically already talked about what, what ran wrong in some matches, and he specifically addressed, basically, what he has to improve. Um, and I guess, like, if the coach already does that on match day two or three um, I, and, and he has the tools to do it because like, you know, having Goretzka or Tolisso and Kimmich dropping uh, a little bit too deep and not being, you know, having the counter uh, counter pressing presence they have to have um, that's, you know, repairable. Because, like, you still have two or three of the best center midfielders in the Bundesliga, and you, you'll you'll find a you'll find a solution there. Um, I'm 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 very um I'm you know I'm hopeful you know if you if you if we talk from Bayern perspective, of course. Anyone else like all the opponents in Bundesliga, you know, like all hope is lost. I don't know, um, but I, I think you can still steal points from Bayern. You can still do that because there will be matches and. Maybe the Cologne one today was one. Um, but there will be matches where Bayern or either not at 100%, especially defensively, you know, where maybe the center midfielders will make some of these mistakes again or I, where someone else will make mistakes or where I know they will be a little bit wasteful in front of the goal. Um, so you still have chances um, to beat Bayern here and there. But overall, in general, and that's like my kind of my point, is that like Bayern are still by far the best team and uh, on I don't know on twenty-eight or out of thirty-three match days, they will win or, you know, something like that.
0: I'm sure that's just made every other coach and every other fan of every other the Bundesliga side real happy knowing that Bayern are, are pretty much not far off. That finished article for, for everything you said there, Constantin, I mean the the squad is top notch. And we talked briefly earlier on about Zabitzer. will he won't he? And it, I think we all think he will. Manu, are there any other areas that you think they could strengthen in? Do they need to for everything that Konstantin has just said, the depth they've got? Do they need to add more to that squad?
1: Well, Sabitzer will address depth in midfield. And I think they, although Stanisic has been good, um, I do think they need another right back. Um, so I think internally they maybe know that as well. Whether they're going to actually do something about it is another question.
0: Constantin, do you think they will go into that area to try and strengthen or do you think they'll give it a little more time? Um, Obviously, we've got a a few days left of the window almost. Is it a time for now or is it a time for winter?
2: Yeah, I think if if they uh, make the Sabitzer transfer happening, then I I don't see them making another signing. I think there's also kind of the the feeling at Bayern might be um, that last year they made four essentially you are free for uh last minute signings and Tchoubamuting worked out well i guess um the others not so much um so i'm i'm not sure if they will really, like go for another last minute signing yeah I, I i guess also what you can debate in terms of when when you look at Bayern and kind of their recruitment policy and and just what they do with especially like um under 19 academy players and 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 you know buy on two players um sometimes you have the feeling like maybe they should try to capitalize a little bit more on the talent they have uh somewhere um and they don't really do that and like they are they are not good at keeping any of their academy talent. um you know be it be it stiller be it Lasse Gunther, be it whoever i mean torben morain will be the next um it's the next So I mean, it's it's nice to see Stanisic. Of all, out of out of all players, you know, out of all all players, it's Stanisic who didn't even play well in the in the third division last season. Um, In terms of transfer policy, I don't know. I I I don't get buy on, especially like when it comes to strengthening the the bench. Uh, I think they should do better. But uh, now it going out there and and, and, like signing another right back. Um, Like while you still have Saur there. Because, like, the Bayern Academy is not as bad as some people think it is. Uh, but, you know, like, there's Jamal Musiala, right? And who else? <laughs> and Musiala is, like, kind of, you know, a generational talent. Of course, you can't miss him. I
0: uh, get the feeling you may have opened up a can of worms there, Konstantin, and probably something that we could talk for about an hour and a half on. Do buy and use their academy correctly. But unfortunately, for this match day done, uh, Konstantin, thank you very much for joining us. You know you're always welcome back on a Gay Compressing Podcast at any time. Should our listeners not follow you, um, the first question to them is why not? But how can they uh, keep up with not just your writing, but all your thoughts and all your tactical um, wordings?
2: Yeah, um, of course. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it was a pleasure to discuss uh, the latest Bundesliga happenings. People can follow me on Twitter, of course, at cc underscore Eckner. Um, uh, that's my that's my name there. They can follow me on Instagram, Constantin uh, Eckner, uh, and they can follow me or they can uh, subscribe to my channel on on YouTube, which is a German speaking channel, but channel, but still, it's just Constantin Eckner. Um and yeah I guess that's that's it. Uh, I will share most of my stuff on Twitter or you know or maybe on on YouTube and um there you go. Click and subscribe is a phrase is it not? But um yeah I hopefully you will all go and do that. But as
0: I say that is the end of this particular edition of Gigon and from myself Chris Williams and from Manoveth Alfie Wiedersehen.